week was a crazy week, lots of stuff going on here at Generation Church. We started a new series, uh, we had a picnic, um, and then we announced uh, about the new kids building um, that uh, we are uh, going to be leasing. Um, and uh, it kind of uh, caught me by surprise, uh, and I knew uh, it was the anniversary of 9-11, but I didn't realize it was 15 years um, uh, since those terrible terrorist attacks uh, which saw planes crash into the World Trade Center, a plane go down in uh, Pennsylvania, and also a plane go into the Pentagon. Um, and uh, uh, didn't really give much thought about just, just 15 years, just couldn't believe it was 15 years since that happened. There's people in our church, they weren't even alive. Um, all the kids over in the kids area, uh, none of them were alive. They've grown up with a world never knowing of the Twin Towers, um, which makes me like feel like I'm old because time is just going quicker and quicker. But as uh, I, I came out of Sunday, just started to talk to just different ones throughout the week. And as we were talking, a lot of the conversations I was talking with people came out reminiscing about where you were, what you were doing, the time you heard of the terrorist attacks of 9-11. See, I was uh, in an office building in England. Um, and because of the time difference, uh, it was actually afternoon when uh, I heard of the terrorist attacks. Uh, went home that evening and was glued to the TV all that evening, and then the next day and the next several days, all you could do is watch TV, uh, the horror at what had happened, um, and just the sadness of, of the event. Well, as I was talking to people this week, I started discovering just uh, the emotions coming back up again within people. And following those those attacks, there were people who, there, there was people in mourning, people in deep sorrow, and then there was others who were motivated to go help their country, to go sign up for the army and enlist in the army or sign up for the National Guard and others to build memorials and, and, and things like that. And, 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 and I started getting a picture just from the, the voices of people of really what happened here and the deep sense of mourning and sorrow that came over a nation uh, in just a few hours that lasted days uh, and weeks and months. And as I started talking to people, it reminded me of a situation that happened in 1997. Uh, I woke up one Sunday morning to discover that Diana, Princess of Wales, had been killed in a car accident, um, and we were all in shock. And I started to see uh, a nation that started to mourn. Um, The Brits just started to cry. Now, we have a saying in Britain that's called the stiff upper lip meaning we show no emotion, we shed no tears at all. And if your lip starts quivering, it got to keep it stiff. Well, I started to see that this kind of... this, this kind of way of the British way started to break under the mourning and the sorrow of the loss of our princess. And, and people uh, started to lay flowers in the streets. And over the next days and weeks and months, you started to see uh, just a nation gripped in grief and in mourning for this lady. And it reminded me of just how the nation were after the 9-11 attacks. One, one thing I always see, especially around here more than anywhere else, is you'll be on the highway or you'll be on the road and you start to follow somebody 
and you'll see in the back windscreen uh, of the car in front and there may be like a decal and on it it will say in loving memory of and then there's a name of someone who has passed away um, and, and and they are remembering that person who has passed uh, and often it was uh, uh, children who have passed uh, and, and you see that there's what, what you see in these decals is often that that, that, that person didn't pass like a couple of weeks or months ago but sometimes you see people they had passed like 10 or 15 years ago and then people are still in grief and still in mourning over the loss of uh, the loss of loved ones and what you find in life is this is that sorrow and loss is a fact of life all of us go through moments of sorrow. And, and for some of you, you have lost loved ones. You have uh, lost people who, who, who have been in this world and you have loved and they have gone. And some of you, you will experience that because death is a fact of life and sorrow is something that happens within life. Others, you have experienced sorrow in other things. You, you've experienced the sorrow of, of, of maybe a child who is away from God or you've experienced the sorrow of a broken marriage or a broken home. You've experienced the sorrow of a sickness or the sorrow of, 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 of a life that has just been shattered. And, and, and we all go through hard times, times of sorrow. And when you go through these times, you start to mourn. And mourning is a natural instinct of the human being because mourning is a process that starts to heal your body and your mind and your soul. And if you don't mourn, it's very hard to heal uh, your, your, your mind, body and soul. And so all of us, as we go through the journey of life, when we experience sorrow, we need to mourn to get past it. See, in times of loss, it is important to mourn. It is healthy to grieve, but it is not healthy to stay in grief. Say that again. It is healthy to grieve, but it's not healthy to stay in grief. And sometimes as I, as I look at those decals on those cars and people have passed like 15 years ago and, and I see them and sometimes I think, are those people still in grief? Did they not grieve properly the loss of their loved ones? See, we all process loss and sorrow differently. But for those who experience the kingdom of heaven, for those who access the kingdom of heaven, those who are believers of Jesus Christ and have the right to walk in the kingdom of heaven, this process of loss and sorrow should look and feel completely different from those who have never experienced the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul wrote a letter to uh, a group of churches in a city called Thessalonica. And in 1 Thessalonians 4.13, Paul said this. He said, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. So if you are a believer of Jesus Christ and you've lost someone who is a believer of Jesus Christ, your grieving process should be very different to those who have no hope because you know that if you are absent from the body, you are present with the Lord, that one day you will see them again. And Paul is saying this, if you are a believer of Jesus, the process of sorrow and loss should be very different because you have hope and that hope is in Jesus. See, if you are in the kingdom of heaven, you understand that God is a God to be trusted. 
He is in control even when life does not make sense. And many of you, you've had situations in your life that have not made sense. But the truth is, is that God is in control. The Bible says that he is a refuge and a strength. He is a strong tower that the righteous run to and are safe. He is a place of healing. And so in those moments of sorrow, when you walk in the kingdom of heaven, you do not have to lose heart. You can stay strong and full of hope. See, when you lose or when you go through loss, it is a moment of of sorrow. It is a place where, where nobody wants to be. Nobody likes loss except for weight loss, right? Nobody likes loss. Nobody likes it when we have a treasure that we lose or something that is dear to us that that we lose or even worse, somebody who we love departs. We are left in a vulnerable state. There is nothing good about loss. Nothing good comes about from sorrow. It leaves us empty and it leaves, leaves us aching in pain. So a couple of months ago, my uh, then 15-month-year-old son had been going to a kiddie gym. And in this gym, he had learned the art of a somersault. We call it a forward roll. Like for me, a somersault is like you actually like leap in the air and like somersault. But what he would do is he would get on his all fours and he would put his head on the floor and then he would, he would expect someone to come and flip him over. And he thought this was the funnest thing ever. So one day I come in the house uh, uh, in the evening and he has learned this new trick. Like a little dog, like learns a new trick. He has learned this new talent and he wants to show his daddy. And so he starts putting his head on the floor. And so I flip him over, do it again, flip him over. And it happens like five or six times. And he gets up and he stands up and he like stands with attention. He's like, starts clapping like he's an Olympic gymnast, you know, gymnast or something. And then he looks at me and in his 15 month year old speak at the time, He pointed at me and then he went like this across his chest, which means I want. So basically he was saying, I want you to do it. So I looked at him. I was like, "Ah, how about your mother do it instead? Right. She she's five foot one, even though she's really five foot. But she says she's five foot one Um, and she's like about this big. And so she would have no problem doing a somersault, right? A forward roll, a flip. You would think. But she tried to do it several times and she could not do it. I started laughing so hard and I was like, babe, step aside. Let me show you how it works. So I got there and uh, I did one and I flipped myself over. Well, Evan, my son, found it the funniest thing ever. He started laughing. So I was like, okay, I keep doing it. So I did it like five or six times. And after about the sixth time, I started feeling like my body shutting down because like this 37-year-old body was not made to do somersaults or flips. I'm not 18 years old anymore. I was actually out of breath. And my head was a little funny and fuzzy and like I couldn't stand up straight or anything like that. But by the end of the night, I lay in bed and my body was actually aching. 
And I went to sleep that night. I woke up the next morning with the worst pain in my neck and my shoulder you could imagine. I've often slept funny on my neck or shoulder and cricked my neck and, you know, it's painful for that day or the next couple of days, but eventually it goes and that's what I thought I had done. But actually, no, the pain stayed and the pain continued and two months later, I'm still experiencing the pain there. I don't know if I've got a pinched nerve or what, or if I need to go get therapy or a massage, I'm not sure. But all I know is that every day I am experiencing that pain in my neck and my shoulder, it's teaching me a lesson you cannot do the things that your son does you know and as my son gets older I've got to understand that I am not as young as I used to be but since then I haven't been able to sleep properly sleep you know I sleep but I don't have good sleep because I keep waking up with this pain in my neck in my shoulder What I've discovered is as I'm going through life and going through different things, you forget about it, but the pain is still there and the pain keeps reminding me and I can't do some of the things that I was doing before because of the pain in my neck. And this reminds me of when people have had loss, when people lose out. Often the pain is so hard that you can't forget about it. The pain is so hard that you can't move on. You keep feeling this innermost pain within your heart and your soul. And you can't move on because the pain is there. And it keeps reminding you of the loss that you have had. And so you are in a position of sorrow, a place of mourning. And it is an unblessed condition. There is nothing good that comes out of it. But yet Jesus comes up. And as he starts this sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, the second statement he says this. He says, blessed or God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. I'm thinking... I can't understand this. How can you be blessed if you mourn? How can you be blessed and well off if you are in loss or if you are in sorrow, if you are hurting or if you are in pain? But yet Jesus makes this statement that God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. Now, the word here is translated into English, mourn. But when the Bible was written, the Bible was written in Greek and the original trans- transcripts were in Greek and we've translated it from Greek and the word that, that we've translated into mourn in Greek is the word pantheon. And pantheon basically means this, it is, it is a, uh, a state or a place where someone is in a wretched state. Or they have a deep, intense, heartbreaking sorrow within them. This is a deep sorrow, a deep pain, a deep state to be in. Now, this isn't the sorrow when your sports team loses a game, like mine did this morning. This isn't the sorrow where that middle school girl is so in love with that boy, but the boy likes her best friend instead. It's not the type of sorrow where you go to the grocery store because something is on sale and you get there and there's nothing left at all. This is a deep sorrow. A sorrow that happens maybe once or twice in a lifetime, maybe three times in a lifetime. It is that deep, intense sorrow that just aches and hurts keeps you in deep distress and heartache. It almost paralyzes you so you can't move on. This sorrow. There was two women in the Bible 
who experienced this kind of sorrow. One was named Mary, one was named Martha. Mary and Martha. They had suffered this kind of sorrow, this pentheum. Their brother Lazarus was gravely sick. I mean, he was sick to the point where they started calling their friends and their neighbors and the family because Lazarus is on his last breath. You better come and say goodbye to Lazarus. And so everybody started to come, but eventually Lazarus loses his life and he dies. And when two sisters lose their brother who's in the prime of his life, they have a strong pantheon state about them. They are strongly mourning their brother. And then this is what happens. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, I'm going to start reading at verse 17. It says, when Jesus arrived at Bethany, he was told that Lazarus has already been in the grave for four days. Bethany was a few miles down the road from Jerusalem. And many of the people had come to console Mary and Martha in their loss. When Martha got word that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary stayed in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will do whatever you ask. And then let's leap forward to verse 34. I'm sorry, verse 32. In verse 32, it tells us, Mary comes out of the house now. And it says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. Notice the two sisters said exactly the same things to Jesus. Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When we lose, we go through a lot of emotions. When we're in sorrow, we go through lots of emotions. And one of the emotions that many people go through is the emotion of blaming God. They start to blame God for what had happened. And this is what Mary and Martha had happened. They came to Jesus and said, Jesus, if you had been here, this hadn't happened. In a nice kind of way, they were blaming God for Lazarus' death. See, this is what happens when we go through sorrow or we go through loss. We start getting our theology all screwed up. Our emotion starts to cloud out the truth. This happened to me about two and a half years ago when we got found out that our third round of IVF, our fertility treatments, had failed. I got all my theology screwed up and I started blaming God. So I was saying, God, why? Why did you let this happen? Well, what's wrong with us, God? Why, why, why? why would you do this to us? I started blaming God in it. My emotions started clouding out the reality of what it was. And I've heard myself many times say these kinds of things in my, the quietness of my prayers. God, if only you had. God, why did you not? God, where are you? God, do you even care? Why, God? And I'm sure many of you, you've prayed those prayers or you've had those thoughts and asking God, why, why did you let this happen, God? See, for we see the process of loss and sorrow and we think it is nothing but bad news. 
But when you walk in the unshakable kingdom of heaven, it is different. Bad news comes with a beautiful thing, and that is called comfort. See, Mary and Martha, they called for everybody to come. And the Bible says that many people came to Mary and Martha to console them and to comfort them. But as people came, their friends and their families and their loved ones came, the ones who were close and they cried and wept with them. But nothing could take away the pain of losing their brother. No matter how much they were comforted by other people, they could not lose that heart, uh, that heartache, that deep sorrow within them that they lost their brother because they've re- they needed to realize that only comfort from a Savior will take away the pain. Only comfort from a Savior will take away the pain. Psalm 30 verse 5 tells us this. For His anger, meaning God's anger, only lasts for a moment. His favor lasts a lifetime. Then He says this. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. And no matter where you are in your life, you will go through moments of sorrow. You will go through moments of weeping. But the Bible promises us that that moment will only last for a moment. Weeping only lasts for a night. But joy comes in the morning when you walk in the kingdom of God. When you have Jesus in your life, then you understand that sorrow has only a limited shelf life. For there is joy on the other side. Now, if you've been at church long enough or read the Bible or you you know anything about Christianity or about the life of Jesus, you will know what happened to Mary and Martha's brother, Lazarus. Jesus came and even though he had been dead for four days, Jesus came and raised him from the dead. That's what everyone talks about. Even when I said the name Lazarus, probably many of you this morning, you, were, you were immediately thought, oh, that's the guy that Jesus raised from the dead. And that's what we focus on. We focus on this incredible miracle, this spectacular, amazing miracle that God raised Lazarus from the dead. And many of you thinking, well, God did that for Mary and Martha. Why didn't he do it for me? Why didn't God take away my sorrow or bring it back to me, what I had lost in my life? And the reality of this is we focus on this miracle, but we forget the miracle of healing that happened in Mary and Martha. And that's the miracle that God is doing in your life. Let's take a look at what happened. John chapter 11, verse 38 says here, it says, Jesus was still angry when he arrived to the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across his entrance. Roll the stone aside, Jesus said to them. But Martha, the dead man's sister, protested, Lord, he has been dead for four days. The smell will be terrible. Some of you got kids and you go into their room and the smell is terrible. Imagine a dead man who's been dead four days. It was stinking. Then verse 40, Jesus responded, didn't I tell you that you would see God's glory if you believe. So they rolled the stone aside. Then Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, thank you for hearing me. You always hear me, but I said it out loud 
for the sake of these people standing here so that they will believe you sent me. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And then the story goes that Lazarus, dressed like a mummy in his grave clothes, came out of the tomb, was like, hey guys, what's going on? Did I miss anything? And we focus on this. But Jesus says it right there. The reason he raised Lazarus from the dead was for one reason. And the reason was this, to show everybody that he was the Christ. Everybody had to understand that Jesus was the Messiah. And this was a way that Jesus was showing people he was the Messiah. I tell you, you will not see every day somebody getting raised from the dead. Many of you will go through your life and you will never see anybody raised from the dead. But this is what you will see. You will see God performing miracles in people's lives when he turns sorrow into joy. Because everyone focuses on the miracle of Lazarus being raised from the dead, but many people don't focus on what happened before that. And this is what happens before. John 11, verse 33 to 36. When Jesus saw her weeping, talking about Mary, and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled within him, and he was deeply troubled. Where have you put him? he asked. They told him, Lord, come and see. Then Jesus wept. The people who were standing nearby said, see how much He loved him. In this paragraph that I just read, there is the shortest verse in the whole Bible. But yet it is one of the most powerful verses you will ever read. And the verse is this. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Notice Jesus didn't come on the scene. Hey guys, don't worry, I'm here. We're going to raise him from the dead. You know, don't cry about it. Just go eat the food and then we'll we'll sort everything out and then we'll be able to get on with our own lives. No, Jesus didn't do that. Jesus came in the middle of that situation and Jesus started to feel the pain and the sorrow and the hurt. And when you're going through things in your life and there may be tears in your eyes, there is also tears in God's eyes. For when your heart hurts, His heart hurts. When you weep, he weeps. When you mourn, he mourns. When you are in deep sorrow, he is in deep sorrow as well. And you start to find that Jesus comes in the middle of the situation and Jesus deeply cares. And when you weep, Jesus weeps with you as well. See, this unblessed condition of sorrow can actually be blessed. We can experience happiness in times of deep sadness because those moments remind us that Jesus is near. And when Jesus is near, there is comfort. And when Jesus is near, he does the miracle in your life of taking sorrow and replacing it with joy. There was a man in the Bible named Isaiah. Isaiah was a prophet of God. And Isaiah prophesied that a Messiah would come to Israel. And as 
Isaiah is prophesying about this Messiah. He is talking about the work and the ministry that this Messiah would come. Now looking back, we know that Jesus was that Messiah. Jesus is the man that Isaiah was talking about. And look what Isaiah said about Jesus. He said, for the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. For he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And we talked about that, that last week. That there is good news for those who are poor and those who realize their need of God. That there is an invitation to the kingdom of heaven. Then he says this. He said, he has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted. And to proclaim that captives will be released. The prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. And with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel, not to some, but to all who mourn in Israel, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes. In those days, if somebody had passed away, people would go into mourning. They would wear what they call sackcloth. They would wear black and they would put ashes on their head. And Jesus is going to come and take the ashes away and put a crown of glory instead. It says, he will give a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks and the Lord has planted for his own glory. This is exactly what Jesus does in the life of those who believe in him. He comforts those who hurt. He releases those who are bound in pain. He brings favor. He gives a crown instead of ashes. He gives joy instead of sadness. He helps you grow deep roots and live in in positivity when all around is negativity. That is what Jesus does. And that is why you are blessed or God blesses those who mourn. That you are truly well off if you have this deep sense of sorrow because you will be comforted by Jesus and when Jesus is near this is exactly what Jesus does a couple of weeks ago I got a telephone call it was eight o'clock at night I had my feet up I was in front of the tv and my phone went and I answered my phone and it was a guy in our church Rob Rob's here right now and said, hey, Alex, it's Rob. I said, hey, Rob, what's up? He says, I got something I want to just share with you and, uh, and let you know. And he proceeded to tell me that he's just been diagnosed with cancer of the kidneys and that they've got to work quick so that cancer does not spread and that he's got to go to surgery and they're going to take one of his kidneys out. They think they've got it all and it could be positive, but still. And as I was on the phone with Rob that night, suddenly this deep sense of sorrow came upon me. I just, a tear started coming down my eye. For I could not imagine being in the doctor's office that day with that news. It reminded me of a feeling that I had about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago when one of the girls in our church, Shannon, I had heard that she got diagnosed with cancer. She got a young little beautiful girl, a young couple that I married about four years ago. And I remember hearing that news and it was after church. I heard the news and I sat in my car and I just wept for her. 
for that sorrow just came right over me. And I started to pray, God, just do something in her life. And I had the same prayer the other night. And many others, you've gone through situations in your life, heartache and pain and loss. And I, I just remembered those feelings of just sadness, feeling compassion and God, just do something. But I started to realize as I was going through this verse, God blesses those who mourn for they will be comforted. I started to realize that even though I had shed a tear, Jesus, our Savior, He had already come. The moment that they shed a tear or the pain hurt in their heart, there was Jesus. And as they wept, this is what Jesus did. He put his arm around them and he wept as well. As they mourned, Jesus mourned. As they grieved, Jesus grieved. As maybe they got angry, Jesus got angry. As they were in pain, Jesus was in pain. As they had questions, there was Jesus, the Savior of the world. He was there hugging them tight and he was comforting them and saying, even though there may be weeping right now, it will only last for a night for there will be joy in the morning because I am here and where Jesus is, there is comfort. And we can come and we can comfort people and we can cry for people and we can feel their sorrow, but not, we cannot take away their pain. But there is a Savior. His name is Jesus. And He is the one who takes away all pain. He is the one who takes people who are in mourning and He brings uh, moments of joy in their lives. He is the one who takes people who are weeping and He brings rejoicing and gladness. He takes the ones who are sad and He transforms them so that they, are, uh, they have a spirit of praise about them. Why? Because that is the work that Jesus Christ does in our lives. So I ask you today, what is your sorrow today? What is the sorrow that you will have tomorrow? I don't know and you don't know either, but I do know one thing. I do know that there is a Savior, the Savior of the world. His name is Jesus. And when you go through sorrow, He holds you tight. He weeps when you weep. He, 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 he hurts when you hurt. And He's there to bring comforts. And the comfort comes in the shape of joy of peace, of hope, and of love. Let's bow our heads in prayer.